Um, <clears throat> when when we were when we were when, when my kids were young, well, I guess we were younger too. But um, <laughs> when my children were younger, we used to go on a lot of uh, uh, road trip vacations where we'd travel someplace um, by road. And that meant the cars, uh, the, the kids were in the car with us. And, um, now, <clears throat> uh, my kids were always perfect and they never got into any, any trouble. But maybe some of you had different sorts of kids, the kinds who would start, uh, making faces at each other or poking each other or, or making a weird sound with their mouth or something that the other child would, would eventually, uh, call up to the front seats saying, make them stop. <laughs> Maybe some of you have heard that, um, and uh, sometimes you do have to make them stop. Sometimes you're actually, you know, we, you know, I don't make me stop the car, right? But sometimes you do have to stop the car, and sometimes you've got to deal with it. But a lot of the time, the right thing to do is to say, you know, you you sort it out yourselves. The uh, you know, it's like that you will learn important conflict resolution skills if you sort out your troubles by yourself. That that's actually something that's good for them um, because because those sorts of uh, disputes don't stop. It would be great if the last dispute you ever had was when you were three or four in the back seat of the car. But unfortunately, they go on the rest of your life. Sometimes the dispute is with a spouse, um, your, your, your husband, your wife. Sometimes it's with your parents or with your children. Sometimes it's with a, a coworker or the next door neighbor. Th- th- those sorts of disputes go on. And, and oftentimes they can seem as ridiculous to an outsider um, as those squabbles between children in the back seat of a car. Um, and and even even if they are actually not that uh, ridiculous, even if there's a core of of something important in there, it's often hard for somebody from the outside to know what to do with that. You know, how can I ever untangle? You know, who who poked first or who made the first silly sound or whatever it was. So um, it's hard it's hard for anybody in the outside to do that. So so sometimes um, we have these problems as we go through life sitting in you know the, the back seat of life, there are people who are sitting next to us that we kind of wish that we could make them stop. Um, but unfortunately uh, we can't. However, in our letter today, um, the Apostle Paul talks about some ways that maybe we can, at least in the case of the, the, the people who are sitting in, in, um, the, who are sitting next to a Christian. So if you are a Christian, this message is directed at you. How can you, how can you deal with the person who's sitting next to you? So when they're doing something that, uh, you wish that they would stop. <clears throat> and one of the problems we have as we, as we, um, as we talk about this, this is a problem. Now Paul, Paul was writing to a church in Rome in the first century. And in, in Rome in the first century, there weren't a lot of people who would have even thought of saying, hey, it's a free country, or, you know, I can do whatever I want, you know, that, that, our culture is 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 predicated on the idea of liberty. You know, we have deeply baked into our bones as Americans. We have the idea that that we're free. You know, that that no one can make you do anything. You know, from from don't tread on me to my body, my choice. Uh, we have this idea of hey, butt out. This is my business. It's not your business. So that's deep in our in our uh, culture. It's a part of part of who we are as Americans. And no one in the first century in Rome would have had to deal with that. So so uh, if for us to understand what Paul is talking about in this letter, we need to realize that there are two kinds of freedom. So in um, in uh, uh, the, the 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 Bible, there's a great passage that illustrates this. So uh, in the, in the story of Joseph, it goes on for like 12 chapters. So we're not going to go through that today. But very briefly, what happens is Joseph is is a Hebrew slave who is who is uh, who is now um, imprisoned in a dungeon in Egypt, 
and he's been there for 14 years. But the circumstances uh, uh, create a situation where he is, he is brought before Pharaoh because only he in all of Egypt can interpret Pharaoh's dream. And he does so. And Pharaoh is grateful. And he's thinking, you're smarter than the rest of these jokers that I've got on my staff. Why don't I elevate you? And so what he says is this. He says, I've given you authority over the entire land of Egypt. Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and dressed him in linen clothes. And he put a gold necklace around his neck. And this illustrates there's two kinds of freedom. If you are Joseph, you're sitting in the, the dungeon, <clears throat> there's, there's one way you could get your freedom, which is, you know, you could make a break for it. You could escape. You could just flee from the prison and get away from it somehow. And then you would have escaped. You would have your freedom. You could do all the things you couldn't do when you were in prison, <clears throat> unless they caught you. Right? If they caught you, then, you know, you'd be back in prison or maybe worse. But, but that's one kind of freedom. There's the freedom that is escape. But Joseph has a different kind of freedom. Joseph is elevated to a different position. He is taken out of the dungeon, so he's free in the same way he would be if he escaped. He can do the things he couldn't do in prison, but he can do so much more. He can actually do the thing that God has been preparing him for, the thing that he was meant to do uh, since the day he was born. This is the this is the situation that Joseph has been maneuvered into by the circumstances of his life. And he is actually going to, if you read the story, he goes on to save the people of Egypt from this catastrophic um, uh, famine that's coming at them. And not only the people of Egypt, but his, his extended family back in Canaan. And he's able to save everybody. This is what he was meant to do. So Joseph has a different kind of freedom. Joseph doesn't have the freedom of an escape. Joseph has the freedom of an elevation that enables him to do the things that he was always meant to do. So um, so there are two kinds of freedom. And uh, I think I read this. So uh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh said, you know, I've given you the authority. Pharaoh says, I'm going to make you prime minister. And so he does. He puts the, the uh, signet ring on his hand and, and gives him this high office. So freedom can be an escape or an elevation. And uh, as Americans, we need to appreciate that that sometimes we aim too low. We say, look, you, you're not the boss of me. Don't tread on me. My body, my choice. We basically think in terms of the, the freedom of escape. Nobody can make me do anything. And what Christian freedom talks about is the idea that that you have been freed from restraints so you can actually be who you were meant to be. You can actually become the person that you were meant to be. You can find meaning and purpose in your life because there are no longer any constraints on you. So Paul would say to us, I think as Americans, he would say, if all you think about freedom is is the freedom to do what you want, you should aim higher. That you should you should say, what what is my deepest desire? What is the longing in my heart? What is the thing that I feel, you know, I, I will never rest easy until I deal with this thing? Um, Paul would say, hey, there's nothing stopping you. Go for it. Paul says that's the kind of freedom you have in Christ, that we have the freedom of escape. I mean, not of escape, but of elevation. I mean, he would actually say we have an even higher position than Joseph did. Joseph was elevated to to prime minister. He was the highest person in Egypt except for Pharaoh. But Paul would say we have a higher position because we have been elevated to become not the prime minister, but we've been elevated into the royal family. Jesus' most famous parable, the parable of the prodigal son, uh, the, the son has been, he, he fled from home. He wanted to go off and experience freedom. So he went off to the, to the far country 
and then he had a, a reversal of circumstances, and he became impoverished and eating, uh, wishing he could eat the food that pigs ate. But then he comes to his senses and goes home, hoping he can become a slave. And his, his father says this, he says to the servants, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. These are the symbols of authority. These are the symbols of restoration that we saw with with um, Joseph when he was elevated to his position. And this is what we have as Christians. We have been um, elevated into the family of the children of God. So, <clears throat> so what is the what is the deepest longing of your heart? What kind of freedom do you want? How about the freedom to pursue that dream, to pursue that desire, to to become the person you were meant to be? So there's nothing stopping you from doing that. But there is a problem when you are adopted into the family of the children of God. When you are, Paul Paul said, we looked at a couple of weeks ago, um, when you are grafted into the the tree that is the the family tree of the children of God. When you're grafted into it, when you become a member of a family, you've got the rest of the family there, the, the little brothers and the little sisters, the big brothers and the big sisters that we talked about, that you have you have um, other people that you have, um, you now have to figure out how am I going to deal with them. Um, uh, so so the, the problem with that is they are not in the same place you are because people are different. They have different experiences. They have different circumstances. They they arrived earlier or later. They're your bigger brother or bigger sister. They're different. And they are not going to be uh, reacting to this new status as members of the royal family in the same exact way that you are. They're either going to be uh, more cautious, that they're still thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm still in that dungeon. You know, I mean, yeah, I've got a different set of clothes on. I've got a ring, but... Deep down in my heart, I'm still that guy in the dungeon wishing he could be free. Or maybe they're further along and they're, they're leaning into it harder than you are. So they're in a different place. They, they have a different experience of freedom. And that's what it boils down to is that, is that they're going to have, they're going to have more or less faith in their new status. They're going to have, you know, great faith that yes, I'm, I'm actually, the prison days are long behind me. Or they're going to be saying, I'm still kind of, not sure if any moment, you know, I'm going to wake up and the dream's going to be over. So they're going to have a different level of faith. And the way that, the way that that faith grows is by, is by practice, by, by actually doing things. That strong faith comes not from, you know, intuiting, okay, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm out of the prison now, but actually saying, okay, well, let's try writing a check on the royal treasury. If it doesn't, you know, if that clears, that'll give me strong confidence that that actually um, I am in fact adopted into the royal family. Um, we can we can give an order in the name of the king and see if anybody obeys it. So so these are the kinds of things that give us confidence by actually doing things, by practicing um, what it is what what it looks like to uh, be a member of the royal family. That that faith, that increased confidence that we aren't in that prison anymore, comes from practice. So, so, uh, the, the way we, um, the way we, uh, grow into that faith, uh, requires practice. So that leads us to our reading today. Paul begins by saying, welcome the person who is weak in faith, but not in order to, uh, to argue about differences of opinion. And then jumping ahead, he goes into some detail there, but jumping, he said, he says, so stop judging each other. 
you know, don't call them a baby. Don't say, you know, they're, they're the one who doesn't know that they can do these things. They're acting like a baby. They're still acting like a prisoner. And they're, you know, they're losers because of that. He says, stop judging each other. He says, uh, that, um, that, um, instead, he says, this is what you should decide. Never put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother or sister. He, he says that, that the way that you exercise your, your faith as, as an older brother, if you find yourself in the position of an older brother relative to somebody else, um, that, that you have greater faith in them, he says, um, you should make a conscious decision. This is not something, well, my gut reaction is to say, you're not the boss of me. Don't you tell me what to do. That's your gut reaction. But he says, make a conscious decision. Decide in your mind. It's like, no, I, I, have, I have control of this situation. I can decide what to do next. I, uh, th- there's an example from the Bible, but maybe um, this kind of captures it uh, best of all. I saw this on the internet. Um, what, what Paul is getting at here is that we're free. We're like the the you know if we're in this situation, we're we're like the guy who's who's uh, there three people looking over into the canyon, and one of them is 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 older. He's more mature. He's done more hiking, perhaps, and so he feels comfortable going right up to the edge of the canyon and looking over. But there's also some children who don't know what they're doing to the degree he does. And so they are on the guardrail. And Paul's saying, look around. See see the way that your freedom might affect other people. He says, yes, you're free. You're free. You can look over into that canyon. But should you? Should you? What's going to be the effect if you do? You know, are you gonna, are you gonna make those kids say, I can't wait to the day I'm growing up and I can do that too? Or are they gonna say, let me just climb right over this, uh, this railing? You know, who knows? He says, look around, see, see the impact of your freedom on other people. He says, um, now, now, what is he talking about? He's not talking about looking over into a canyon. He's talking about uh, food in this case. He's talking about the dietary restrictions. Because in the first century in Rome, where Paul's writing, that uh, essentially all the meat that would have been um, provided in a, in a, in, in available for people to buy in Rome would have come from a sacrifice that was made almost always at a pagan temple. So that's where the meat came from. So people who came from different religious traditions, and there were all, you know, all the religions of empire were were part of Rome. And so Jews in particular, people who were Christians but had come from a Jewish background, they would have had strong aversions to eating any meat that, that had been sacrificed at a pagan temple. So Paul's particularly thinking of food, but as we'll see, he's saying that this is a general principle we can apply. So he says, I'm con- I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is wrong to eat in itself. Those those idols, the, 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 the temples, they're filled with idols. There's nothing to them. There There is no... Jupiter, there is no, no Mercury or Mars. They are constructs of people's imagination that I'm talking about the living God, they're talking about a dead idol. So it's no big deal if you eat meat that was sacrificed to them because it was a meaningless gesture. He says, I know that. But if someone thinks that it's wrong to eat, it becomes wrong for that person. If your brother or sister is upset by your food, you are no longer walking in love. Don't let your food destroy someone for whom Christ died. Don't encourage them to climb over that guardrail before they're ready. 
And this is this is a this is a fundamental concept within within not just Christianity, but it goes deep into the heart of Judaism. It, it goes really all the way back to the very beginning of the Hebrew Scriptures. In in the story of Genesis, we read about Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel are the first children of uh, Adam and Eve, and Cain is born, and then sometime afterwards, Abel is born, and they offer sacrifices to to God, and for whatever reason, it's not told. Uh, Cain's sacrifice is unacceptable. That that God doesn't look with favor on the sacrifice of Cain, but he does look with favor on the sacrifice of Abel. And Cain sees that competitively. He says, you know, mine was better, or mine should have been better. You know, he he sees this as a competition. Offering the sacrifices is a competition, and so he decides to eliminate the competition. So he takes his brother out into a field and kills him. And then God says, hey, Where's your brother? And Cain says, I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian? And this is the, 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 the question that has the most obvious answer there has ever been. Um, even more in that culture, uh, the answer is, of course, you are meant to be your brother's guardian. That, that, of course, we look out for each other. And, and in particular, in, in, uh, ancient cultures, the older siblings had special res- responsibilities and privileges that came with their job because when dad died, you know, there were short lifespans in those days. Um, when dad died, somebody had to become the, the patriarch of the family. So, so yeah, you more than anybody should be your, your brother's guardian. Um, yes, absolutely. So, so the problem is Cain is not acting like an older brother. He's acting like a competitor. But Cain was Abel's older brother, and so we should we should think of ourselves that way. We should think of ourselves like that guy on the the promontory looking out into the canyon. He should be looking around and saying, "Is this what an older brother should be doing? Should he be oblivious to the impact of what he's doing to the people around him?" So Paul says, "Don't let your food destroy someone for whom Christ died, because it can happen." They they can they can say you know what um, uh, I'm going to go ahead and eat that that meat that was sacrificed to the to the um, to the temple and then the next thing you know you know who knows they 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 lose their faith or they they go back to their original faith whatever it is they decide you know I I got lucky that day I ate the meat and then you know I won the lottery or something and I decided that's a sign I should go back to my old religion so so Paul's saying don't do that you know be careful about the impact you have around. You. And he says, if they if they fall from grace, if they if they lose their faith, if they if they go back to their old religion or whatever it is, they walk away. He says that other people will notice that, and then your good will be criticized as wrong, because there's nothing wrong with eating the meat. That's a good thing. The meat's perfectly good. That's not the problem. You know, standing on the promontory. If you're a grown up, you know, go right ahead. Look over into the canyon. See what you want to see. But, but. If it causes other people, if it entices other people to do something that hurts them, people are going to look at it and say, see, this is what happens when you start looking over into the promontory. The next thing you know, everybody's got a guardrail. Everybody's got that, you know, a, a, a plexiglass wall five feet, you know, ten feet tall to keep people from looking into the, the, the canyon. So, so he's saying, don't let that good thing be, um, be attacked as a bad thing. That this is something you can do. He says, God's kingdom isn't about eating food and drinking, but about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He says, He says, is it really worth it? Is it worth it? Is it that important to you that you go ahead and eat the meat 
when when your your brother or sister is struggling and you know you you could have vegetables instead he says is it really that important he says what's the what's the main thing and the answer of course the kingdom of god is the main thing that's that's what's important here so keep your eye on what's important he says whoever serves christ this way pleases god and gets human approval and then in the next paragraph, he basically repeats himself, only instead of saying, don't do it, he says, do this. So he, he restates his his, his uh, point in a positive fashion instead of the negative fa- fashion. So he says, let's strive for things that bring peace and the things that build up. He's back to this big idea. We're free to be what we were meant to be, to, to, to make something of ourselves, to make something of our life that those constraints that that prevented us from doing so in the past are no longer there. So he says, he says, let's pursue the things that build each other up, that you work on the thing that you were meant to do and let them work on the thing that they were meant to do. Let them grow into that. So strive for the things that bring peace and the things that build each other up. We are set free ultimately to be constructive, that, that God doesn't want a bunch of automatons who are simply worshiping. God wants people who become what they were always meant to be co-creators who are actually making a difference in the world. So Paul says, don't destroy what God has done because of food. All food is acceptable, but it's a bad thing if it trips someone else up. It's a good thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that trips your brother or sister. He's saying, this is not really about food even. It's about this general idea of, is, is this having a bad effect on the people around you? So he says, keep the belief that you have to yourself. It's between you and God. Because Paul knows people, and he knows what most of us would do if we if we if he stopped there. What would happen is, you'd yeah, all right, okay. I won't go out and walk on the the promontory. I won't eat the meat. But now I'm going to make you pay for it with a half hour lecture about how you're being a baby. You're you should grow up. You should you should have stronger faith. You should you should you should be older and more capable of walking out in the promontory. You should have a deeper faith and more willingness to eat this perfectly fine meat that was offered to Mars. He says, don't, don't subject them to a lecture. He doesn't mean you can never tell them, but let them ask, you know, what do you think? You know, do you think it's okay to eat meat, you know, offered to, to idols? You can say, well, you know, here's, here's, here's what I think. You know, this is kind of my position, but he says, don't make it a lecture that they have to sit through as the price of your going along with what they're doing. He says, people are blessed who don't convict themselves by the things they approve. But those who have doubts are convicted if they go ahead and eat. He says, "You're not gonna, you're not gonna suffer anyway. You're, you're blessed if you if you do the thing that that um, that you approve. But those who are those who have doubts are convicted if they go ahead and eat. So don't make them do something that's bad for them. He says because everything that isn't based on faith is sin. So how do we deal with the people who are sitting in that car seat of life next to us the people who are doing the thing that is driving us nuts well paul says which one of you is the older brother which one of you is the older sister which one of you is more confident that you are in fact living in the royal family you've been adopted into the family of the children of god the one with deeper faith greater faith should express that faith by accommodating the weakness of the one with less faith. Now, the person the person you're sitting next to may not even be a Christian, but this doesn't prevent you from doing it, right? They've got zero faith. If you've got any faith, then you're you have more than them. So accommodate their weakness. So, so um, 
this is a way that you can get along with the people in the car seat next to you. And I guess, I guess the way I would, I would finish this is by saying, Paul said the kingdom of God is not about meat or drink. And, you know, if you find that this is a place where you really push back and you say, yeah, but I'm free. I can do this thing. I can eat that meat. I should eat that meat. I deserve to eat that meat. You might ask yourself, you know, really? Am I free? If it means that much to me, if it has that big of a control over me, am I truly free? I mean, yes, it's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with the meat. Go right ahead. But it, but if you can't let it go, if it's if it's not truly something that you're indifferent about, then are you really free of it? Because you were made for freedom too. And maybe that's something you should pursue is, is why is it that that bothers me so much? Why is it that, that I'm so troubled at the thought of, of gearing down for this person who's having difficulty here? Why does that bother me so much? We can ask ourselves, are we, are we truly free? Because we should be free and maybe that's a sign that we aren't. But the other question we can ask is, what is it we were meant to do? Because we have not been given the freedom of a, of a runaway slave. We're not, we're not escapees who now no longer have any constraints on us. We have been taken from the dungeon and elevated right up to, well, beyond the prime ministership. We have been elevated into the royal family. There's nothing stopping you from fulfilling that dream, from, from pursuing that ambition, from becoming the person that you were meant to be. Let's pray. Gracious God, um, you have you have made us um, in your image to be creators, to co-create the 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 kingdom of God alongside you and alongside our elder brother Jesus. Help us to to lean into that. Help us to have the faith that that we are actually members of that family and we can we can pursue those those goals knowing that nothing is stopping us we are freed from those constraints and lord help us to look around and remember that our freedom is not just freedom for ourselves but it's freedom for every person in our family help us to look around and see the impact of what we're doing and to gear down when we need to so that everyone can become the person they were meant to be We ask all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.